Welcome, everybody, to the Photog Adventures podcast. I'm Aaron King. And I'm Brendan Porter. And we are the Photog Adventurers. If you've already followed us and you've already seen one of our videos, you know what we do. We have spent this year getting our portfolio built up. We love landscape photography. We love astrophotography. We love getting out there when our wives let us, and we go out and capture what we can and build that portfolio. And we live in Utah, so we're lucky that we don't have to drive all that far before we get somewhere picturesque. So if you want to see the pictures that we've captured recently, you can check our website photogadventures.com, our Instagram, our Facebook. And if you have some time, get on out to our YouTube channel and watch our videos. We'd appreciate it very much and hope that you will follow us always in the podcast. All right. So today, guys, we're going to be talking about the supermoon from November 14th, which was yesterday for us. Yeah. And we went out to the Bonneville Salt Flats. The Bonneville Salt Flats is where the world takes its speed cars to race them, basically. Oh, man. The it's, world comes to it, this place. I mean, it's 30,000 square acres of space, and these vehicles can go as fast as they possibly can. And they don't run out of space. They keep driving. Yeah, it's like 14 straight miles. Oh, man. And so you can get pretty fast going 14 miles. Yeah. You can get up to, you know, the, I think the, I mean, the world land records are made and broken there every year that's crazy so every august we're there if you're in utah in august come on down and check it out because uh, it's pretty awesome i haven't been there but i've wanted to go for years now so next maybe august. next august we've got to go absolutely we can get some good telephoto lenses as long as it's not stuff. during the solar eclipse Ooh. it better not be because i really want to see it but i'm, I mean, I'm obviously we might have to wait for the, the, the year after we'll see yeah we got rest of our lives to live right yep so salt flats are awesome there's lots of photos on google if you Google it, Bonneville Salt Flats, it's crazy. The ground is this crystally, it's not like sand. It's really hard when it's not filled with water like it was last night. <laughs> it's uh, really hard. <laughs> it's really hard. It's not really like sand at all. So sand will like give way when you step on it, right? The salt flats is like a hard, crusty surface. So it's like... It's like walking out on a pie. Kind of, but, but even harder than that. Like You know like a really hard bread when the bread gets like three days old the good french bread yeah and then it gets free, three days old and the top is super crispy no no no. i'm not mm, three days old bread i'm mmming hard crusty bread with a chewy inside that's been fresh baked yeah i'm talking about wait three days well, I'm not gonna and then mm it's that. super crispy on top that that's kind of what it feels like it's really interesting <laughs> and i've been down real low before i've gotten out there there's a there's a rest area out there and you can walk out there and i got down on my hands and knees and i'm like what is this stuff made out of and it just looked like these little like crystally growths, almost like roots, upside down roots. Yeah. And they were just crystally salt. It was, it's trippy. It's pretty cool. The stuff that we could see on the edge there was such a buildup of salt just in that one area because of the yeah. water lapping at the shoreline of right. what that road was basically. Yeah. I can only imagine what it's like out there further. Yeah. And crystals grow. I mean, just like salt crystals and sugar crystals, they will grow, especially with water and they just kind of evolve over time and so it's, it's you get these crazy formations and really cool structures on the surface oh, those are the things i was looking for for my foreground object i yeah. thought that's what i was going to have so next summer we'll plan on that we can maybe maybe before august we can try it and see i'm sure it's dry in july i'm sure it is right on so then you ask why did we go out there in Utah, we have this unfortunate thing where yeah we're very picturesque we got landscape terrain everywhere but your sunrise that you might be familiar with if you live in a flat area and most of the United States is flat, 
You see the sun crest over the horizon. We don't see the sun until it's been up for an hour or a half hour, depending on which mm-hmm. mountain you're living next to and how close you are up against that mountain. So in our area right here in the Utah Valley and Salt Lake Valley, we looked at all the possible locations we could go. And if we wanted to see that super moon, extra super, we wanted it magnified by that atmosphere as it's on the very edge of the horizon. We didn't want to catch up with it later. So we looked around. Guardsman Pass was one of the options. Driving further out to the gorge towards Vernal and the Roosevelt area, we also had a small area that we thought we could drive up to the top of a mountain for Francis Peak. And really, with all the driving we'd have to do and the potential to see maybe rolling hills in front of it or clouds, we weren't sure what we were going to get. And we thought, man, the salt flats are less than two hours away. And they're just flat. We were really excited about it. We checked it on Google Earth. We checked it out on PhotoPills. We looked at all of the options. We'll talk more in specific about why it won when I talk about PhotoPills. But man, it won. We knew we were going to have an unabated horizon as long as it wasn't cloudy. So we took it. We went. And we knew that's where we wanted to be. Getting out there, he's already mentioned it. We head out to this awesome area that we wanted to get into and hike out as far as we could and find a foreground element, find like a really cool hill. We knew where the moon was going to rise, but we weren't sure necessarily what was going to be in front of us or between us. And so we wanted to find something and kind of walk right and left and put something between us that was going to be very interesting. And well, we, <laughs> the road terminates right at the entrance of Bonneville Speedway. When we're talking an entrance, it's like a dead-end road and a kind of construction lot mm-hmm. where it just goes to a little cul-de-sac and it's done. That's what the entrance to the Bonneville Speed Flats are. They're just, just right. an end of a road. Then it's completely just flat, sandy awesomeness that we couldn't see because it was, what, four, six inches of water? Yeah, and it's so flat that when the water has nowhere to go. Yeah. So because of the time of year, it's cooler. It's just not evaporating as fast. And so any water that drains off those hills nearby... They just stay there. It's weird to think that if it rains a quarter of an inch in the salt flats, it's probably going to be there for a couple of days, unlike what you're yeah. used to where it hits your area and drains some direction. Yeah. So it was quite a bummer to have them be flooded. I, I had a plan that was basically busted. I mm. did have a 7,200-millimeter lens. I did have my tripod. We both were happy with just the horizon that was open, and we had potential still, so we set up our cameras and made camp right there at the edge of the water. Yeah, and I was just glad that my car made it there. Oh, my gosh, your car. Because the last trip we took, my car took quite the beating. Going out to the Badlands out there. Uh, I'm so sorry. In the middle of nowhere, where we... I mean, I got two flat tires in the same trip. <laughs> Not to count to the... The spare tire, that was the third flat tire. The spare tire was low. At least it was fillable. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And we could drive it until the second one blew out. So that was just a crazy weekend trying to recover our GoPros. When we launched the balloon and we sent them out to space, my car took a major beating on that trip. Oh, man. I don't know if we emphasized it enough in our last podcast, but Brendan's tires blew up. They didn't they were go shredded. flat. They blew up. And you know how sometimes you might drive on a flat tire too long and so it gets shredded by the wheel well? Well, we stopped immediately. Immediately. Yeah. And it was completely blown out. The wall of the tire looked like it was a jack-o'-lantern. So my axles actually took a pretty big beating too. And you knew, you knew that on the way home. It was scary. The car would start pulling and vibrating and pulling towards one side. <laughs> it would change lanes on us. And it was it's freaky, especially when you're going like 80, <laughs> yeah. 80 miles an hour, and it wants to throw you into the car next to you. It's not fun. Or the underbelly of a semi-trailer. Right. Driving out the salt flats, I got a little bit of that 
on the way down there oh, and a little did. bit on the way back. Not so much on the way back, but on the way there I did. And and I was just booking it as fast as I could because I wanted to get there. I thought I was going to be late. I thought the moon was going to rise at 5.15. So I was just hauling as fast Sorry. as I can legally. And sure, it was legal. It was barely legal. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I got there and he's like, oh, no, it rises at 5.51. I'm like, oh, Awesome. I guess we've got time. Yeah, but don't feel like you were fine. I was worried that you were late. We were too late to do some other stuff that we could have done. Right. Because I would have got the drone out. Yeah. Would've, we would have got would have got some sweet drone footage of the water because that probably looked awesome. So oh. some guy was out there with the with the fan with the sorry with an inspired. I should have borrowed his card and transferred it to my computer. Yeah, if he would have let you, we should have at least got his information. Yeah. So there's some guy out there. If you look at 2016 Supermoon, there might be some cool drone footage from that dude. Mm. That wasn't us. <laughs> um, so my, t- my, my, my car took quite a beating and this morning the axle actually broke as I was turning to come out of my driveway to take my girls to school. Snap. And what was that like? I mean, did it just stop turning or yeah, did you snap and grind? Clunk? And then it just, yeah, it was just a dunk Ooh. and then, you know, like, and I'm just like, Ugh. and then no movement. Like it wouldn't move at all. And I'm like, Ugh. so where is it right now? Just sitting it's in bar- the road? It's just barely in front of my house in the road. Can you I was put it able in to neutral? Put it, I was able to put it right into the... Yeah, I could put it in neutral if I wanted. If, okay. I'm going to have someone help me move it later. But for right now, it's parked in front of my house, kind of at a slant by the curb. <laughs> Not pretty, but it's oh, there and it's man. fairly safe until someone uh, hits it. I'm so sorry. If it, I'm lucky, someone will just scream it, you know, slam into it in the, in the road. That going would too fast be nice. the corner. Their insurance fix everything. Yeah. Hey, the axle's totally trash. What happened? Be like they would Tommy total Boy. the car. It wouldn't take What'd much to total do? that car. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, and that is a sweet car because it's been going on so many photo adventures with us. If we're not renting a vehicle, we're using your vehicle, mm-hmm. and we have your awesome LCD lights that are in the front so that we will see everything. We'll see all the deer coming. I love that car. I don't want to lose it. It has tons of cargo space too. Yeah. So luckily, an actual replacement is the parts are pretty cheap. Oh, and it should be good. a fairly straightforward job to do. So I told my wife, I said, the good news about this axle braking is that I can go back in the car now. I'm not scared to drive with you. Yeah. Because you got to replace. Right. Once it gets fixed. Sorry about your car being trash, man. I'm sorry that it's costing so much. Photog Adventures is a bit expensive, but it's <laughs> so much fun. It's all right. <laughs> Let's go ahead and take our first break of the podcast and we'll come back and talk about how our photography went. Welcome back to the Photog Adventures podcast. If you were gone for a few minutes and you paused, I hope you went to our iTunes page and gave us a review. We'd really like to hear how you're thinking about this podcast, especially if you have any requests of what you'd like to hear more of or maybe less of. Just let us know. Hit us up with a with a constructive critique. We'll be we'll be happy to yeah, hear. Yeah, if you guys think Aaron's talking too much, let him know. Hey, I try. <laughs> So I've already talked about my 7200 that I had. I had to rent it. I don't own one. And this 7200 is a Canon 7200 2.8. And so it's the heavier one. Mm -hmm. It was really heavy and they didn't give me a collar. Oh, they didn't give you a tripod collar for it? No. Oh, I didn't realize that. And so I'm thinking, you know, my... It's pulling a lot of weight. Oh, yeah. The torque is right on the front mount of my camera. Yeah. And I have a good ball head and a good tripod, so I was thinking that might work out okay. But you know what? I, I, it didn't even phase me. While I was using it, while I was holding it, while I was working with it, nothing about it seemed stressed. 
perhaps the mount on the front end of my camera body was a little bit tweaked or a little bit pulled on more, but I mm-hmm. think it handled it really well. Okay. And I was glad to hear that because I was concerned that they didn't give me a tripod collar with the rental and that I was going to be in a situation where I couldn't use it. Right. Especially in a long exposure, but I got 20 second, 30 second exposures without any problem, no movement. It worked really well. Nice. I have an Acrotec ball head, the Acrotec GP ball head with a uh, Faisal tripod, CT3, CT3442 tournament, and they worked fantastic. Apparently, yeah, that's a nice combo. They must be rated for that weight and maybe even more, so it works out really well. Oh, yeah. I don't know the numbers offhand, but I know they're rated for a fair amount of weight. Mm-hmm. The thing about the 7200 is that this is my first time actually putting it on this Canon 6D, and I expected this real telephoto experience, and it definitely was but it was the worst time in the world to take it because I went out to a flat area with nothing in between me and the moon. Mm. Yeah, it zooms in, but you can't tell how much it's zooming in with nothing in the midground and foreground to really zoom past. Yeah, that's true. And so I couldn't really feel that compression of the zoom. I couldn't really feel the awesomeness of the Canon 7200. I can't wait to own one and use it in my landscape photography. But this one day that I rented it, I didn't get a chance to really test it. That's true. That's true. And I rented the same lens. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. I forgot. I didn't get one. They forgot to give you one. Oh, no. They didn't forget. They had the <laughs> reservation. They just have a hard time holding the reservation. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. You sound like Seinfeld there. <laughs> You're good at taking the reservation. You're just bad at holding the reservation. <laughs> Everyone um, can take one. You just take anybody can just take a reservation. Um, <laughs> so I was waiting for my... I was waiting for two people to bring in. There was two out that were supposed to come in that day, and they really? didn't. So it wasn't just one person you were hoping would finally no, come in two. with it. Two lenses were out mm. coming in that day. And so I went in there twice. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, they're out on a shoot, they're doing a wedding or whatever, and they're like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to keep this a little longer because the super moon's tonight. Right. I guarantee you, they just kept them from that. So if Honestly, you're listening and it's you that kept them, uh, that's for you. So I used my 100 millimeter macro Canon L lens. That's a good compromise. And a doubler. So it's a teleconverter. A doubler? Tele- yeah, a teleconverter that doubles <laughs> a doubler. As they're known in the world, doublers. As most people say it. Um, not the Dublins, the doublers. <laughs> so this 2X teleconverter will hook up to the back of the lens and connect to the front of the camera and double your focal length. So I had my 100 millimeter with my doubler that ended up being a 200. And so I was getting essentially the same as you, I think. Yeah, I mean, unless the quality of sharpness is down because of the, the teleconverter, and honestly, it it's bad. the same I mean, focal Yeah, length. when I zoomed in all the way, especially with my magnifier and, and uh, you know, when you do live view and you can really zoom into 10x. Oh, yeah, every it time. It was really crisp, really sharp. So I'm really impressed with the quality of this doubler, but... I don't like the fact that the, that the connections aren't very good, so it's not very good in autofocus. Oh. My, my particular one is a little little finicky there. So. But isn't the 7200, the 70 to 200, a little bit finicky at the full 200 millimeter autofocus anyway? I don't think so. I mean, you got the, you got the version 2. You got the latest version. Yeah, you're probably so right. I'm thinking Tamron and the Sigma. I keep looking those up, and I bet the Tamron is what I got a review on saying oh, that, but right, I'll have to right. look into it. No, but the Canon one, you shouldn't have any problems with that. I mean, it is raved about that lens. So um, so that that worked out pretty well for me, and so I was just glad that I could zoom in and really get a good, clear shot of that moon, 
And uh, I actually borrowed another camera from my office, and I put my Tamron 15 to 30 on that one, and I got some pretty cool shots on that too. How small was the moon in that 15, or were you at 30 the pretty whole time? Pretty small. I was zoomed into fifth. I was zoomed into 30 actually. Okay. So, and that's a 1.6 crop factor, so it was kind of more like a close to 50 millimeter, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So it was okay. I, I had some pretty fun shots with that. Nothing probably really stellar. And the sensor on there was a little noisy, so you know I wasn't. It was exactly the sixty D. Sixty D, yeah. So that was my old camera that I had for about a, a couple of years before it got stolen. So, um, so I had that one. It worked pretty well. Your teleconverter, what brand made? It was a third party teleconverter, it's, it's, but yeah, what's it's a the third brand party. Name? There's two third party teleconverters that work with more style of lenses because the actual Canon ones have glass piece that comes out, and you can only use it on certain lenses. Oh. So like the Canon teleconverter 2X and 1.4, I cannot use with my 100 millimeter because it sticks out too far and you can't actually lock it in there. So it's got a part on both of the connector and on the bulbous right. lens that just kind of pokes out and bulges. Yep, and, and you can't it. actually fit them in to, to lock them in. I see. And so my teleconverter has flat, a flat piece of glass in there so you can put you can adapt any lens to it, which is pretty cool. And so I don't remember the name of it. Is it's an older style? They have newer ones now, and I think I want to spend a little bit more money buy a newer one because I like the autofocus feature, and my older one is good on. I mean, I think it's like ten year old, you know, teleconverters. So I want to get be, one that's more modern and newer and will work better with my autofocus. What would be really cool is if we get that, we rent the teleconverter from them again. We get the seventy to two hundreds. We go out somewhere and we do a nice field test of all of the ones that you can think of. Oh yeah, that'd be awesome to have that for a gear time. Sure, sure. The other thing that went really well for me outside of using that 7200 to really zoom in on the moon was that when I found myself with no foreground, the plan that I had was busted. I didn't have exactly what I was hoping, so I couldn't focus on one portfolio piece. I didn't feel like I could pull anything out of an empty foreground, empty midground, and just a moon as a portfolio piece. If you're going to do that, you probably should have a 600 millimeter or a telescope that you've attached to, and you're zooming way in on the moon, Ooh. and you're getting a crisp, awesome, check out the craters. And a full moon is not the right time to take that shot. If you want to see a good detailed moon where you got the craters with some like contrasting shadows, you don't want the full moon. What you want is something closer to a waxing gibbous that gives you some really fine, really cool detail on the shadow line. You can do the first quarter or a waxing gibbous. They both look awesome for that. I've got those shots before too, and they're awesome. They're cool to use yeah. for reference or for popping them in. And see, what I have to do is sometimes in Photoshop is pop in the actual moon that I took in maybe a year before or, or a nice crisp moon from last night, and I'll have to superimpose that so you can oh, really no. get what your eye is supposed to be seeing. The purists everywhere are crying right now. I know. I'm sorry, purists. <laughs> I swear it's from the same time and same camera and everything it's for art. the most part but it's a cool art it's a cool art piece yeah yeah and, unless you do an hdr where you can really get it all and then you can stack them but yeah. even the moon moves so fast that you know it's right. hard to do so to really to really show off what your eye is seeing you've got to use photoshop you've got to superimpose the moon from another shot that's you know either faster or you can get the detail in the shadows because if, if you take a long exposure you're just going to get blown out you just don't see any detail but your eye can see all of it at once, which is great. So we've got to fake it for, for photos. We got to fake it. So that was big. That was the challenge I wanted to talk about. And what didn't go well is the challenge of capturing a moon. That's so bright mm -hmm. without clipping. Oh man, it was practically impossible. Exactly. Exactly. So to try and save my boring foreground and my boring midground, 
the time lapse. The time lapse came to the rescue. And honestly, it was awesome to have a time lapse. I wish I was more set up. You came with a slider. You had a syrup genie. I wish I could have gotten my time lapse on that because that would have been really special to share. Mm. Bull bramping and everything. That would have been a portfolio time lapse piece. But as far as a time lapse to rescue my moment, rescue the Photog Adventure video, rescue just my interest in how it went that Supermoon night. Time lapsing with Magic Lantern was fantastic. It was awesome. I love how I have Magic Lantern sitting on my card. So when I need to pull up time lapse in the last minute, don't need to pull out an intervalometer. I can just program that baby, say go. You're welcome for introducing you to that. Yes, seriously. I kiss your feet. Thank you so much. It was awesome. Um, what went well for me for the most part was getting there on time because I was rushing because I thought I was late. Uh, the reflections were awesome. In my, in my opinion, I really liked because I was hoping the whole time we were planning this trip to get a body of water. That's why I was thinking throwing out like a lake area. You wanted to hike out further to where they had some water thinking that would be better. Right. And in this and case, we just drove right up to it. You got what you wanted. It was really awesome. And it was so flat and the surface was so flat and long. Mm-hmm. I don't know a single lake, unless we went out to like the Salt Lake maybe, to the to the edge yeah. there. But uh, there's no real place to drive up to there either. It's a unique body of water. It's not just a body of water. It's such a unique one. It and really we got is. lucky to have it. And it, unless it was like super glassy, there's zero wind. If we, if we got that lucky, it would have been <sighs> spectacular. Oh, that would have been awesome. But it was pretty close. <clears throat> so I was happy. Overall, I think my photos with the reflections turned out pretty good. And I'm over, I'm, you know, fairly satisfied with them. So before we go into what didn't go well for us, we'll go ahead and take our last break. We'll come back talking about what didn't go well, what we learned from this trip, and then we'll do gear time and tip of the week. Welcome back to the last segment of our Photog Adventures podcast tonight. Uh, we're talking about what we learned from the trip. What did you learn from going out there and recording the moon, the super moon? So I could have been better prepared. You know, I wanted to use my syrup genie oh, and man, I didn't. Yeah. I wanted to use my drone a little bit and I didn't just because that stupid lens rental held me. <laughs> I mean, it wasted basically an hour of my time, maybe an hour and a half. If they keep telling you that it's coming and you're going to think, okay, I did want this lens for tonight, so I will be patient. Yeah. And I was hoping two people are supposed to bring it in. So if I'm just patient and I wait for five more minutes, but then it end up being 15 minutes, and then I wander around the store and I look at stuff. Anyways, enough about, about that. <laughs> so because I was underprepared, I didn't get to use some of my cool things that I just got. And I wanted to do some HDRs after <laughs> after the fact i was like oh i should have done some hdrs because then i would you know have to do less photoshop work but so that's one thing that i that i think i need to do better next time is just make out more of a plan of what i want to execute and when i make a plan to remember them so i'm not sure if i need to set a reminder in my phone or some kind of note or something that i can pull up a list of some sort and be like okay this is what i want to do because once you're there you easily forget because things change there's water there, there's other people there, there's distractions, and uh, sometimes it's easy to forget, you know, what you wanted to achieve with the shot, and then the moon starts rising, you're like, oh, exactly. take, your, take pictures, take pictures, so. Honestly, I think with a lot of the places that we've gone, every place, maybe every single shoot we've been on this year, I can probably pick one or two things that I thought I was going to do when I got there, 
But as soon as I was in the moment, one reason or another, it didn't occur to me. Mm-hmm. I decided against it. And then when I got out of that situation, I was away from the circumstance. I thought, no, why don't you just do it anyway? Why right. don't you try that? Right. So maybe every photo- maybe that's common for photographers is once you're in the heat of the moment you know, and, the, and the sun <laughs> is setting and you've got minutes, you know, then your brain just kind of frazzles sometimes. and You get kind of focused. I heard Nick Page say yeah. it once that sometimes you get down there and you think about, oh, it's a electronic box time. I need to play with my electronic box. And you stop thinking about what's around you and watching. Mm. Just go, eat a cliff bar, look around you, experience what's happening, and then make the decision on what your shot should be. Instead of like, every time we enter a scene, we're chasing light, we're chasing a moment, and mm-hmm. you're afraid of missing that moment. Even if that moment's not happening right now, you're thinking, okay, I've got to find my location, my composition, i got to put everything up, get it ready to go, because what if? Yeah, I know you think about that a lot more than I do. Oh, yeah. And then, even, but even when I get there, uh, I think that's kind of overspilling into me a little bit, I think. Just... <laughs> so you're <laughs> blaming me. Yeah, more or less, yeah. <laughs> So next time we're out there, I think we do need to remind each other to just do what we plan on doing in a timer or some sort of alarm that reminds you what you're planning on doing, reminds you about the notes that you've taken. Mm-hmm. I think that's smart yeah, because like yeah. you do get in the moment. You do forget. Yeah, we could easily build, build that into our workflow. That wouldn't be very hard to do. So let's do that somehow, some way. Notes or something remind each other to just do what we came for. One of the things that I have yeah. a hard time with, bringing my mics out, bringing my lapel mic out, right. getting other technology involved because sometimes I just think, okay, I don't have enough time to worry about that technology. Right. I mean, we've got the remote lapel mic right here, you know, and they're within reach, but we still always always kind of forget them sometimes. And so. every time we pull them out, it takes less than five minutes. Right. We still don't thing. do it. So, they, yeah, I mean, it's just better prep, I guess. And that just may get better over time. Yeah. We're still working on it. So listeners, you know, if you tend to do the same things we do, if you're in the same boat where you're, you're constantly thinking, oh, why didn't I bring this thing? I wanted to bring it. And you're always forgetting stuff. Dude, it's, it's just the way it is. We do it too. And there's two of us to remind each other we still forget. So it just happens. Yeah. Now you talked about HDR. You're basically saying the same thing I'm about to say. It's just mine... W- I focus more on manually bracketing instead of using the HDR program, but mm-hmm. it's the same exact thing. Same it's just thing. how you work with it and how you post-process it, whether it goes HDR. That is crazy hard with a full moon. I thought oh, that yeah. I was going to use it and bracket and get a nice, colorful scene. I mean, if you look at Brennan's picture versus mine, I have one that has blue in the beginning of the time last, then it's black. I mean, if I focus for the moon, it's black background, just moon. Nothing interesting. So we're getting a nice longer exposure that pulls out the blue of the night as it's just, you know, the sun has just barely set. The moon's coming up. On a full moon, that moon's rising when the sun's setting. And so it's a really cool time to capture this blue hour, this blue sky. And I thought I would bracket and quickly go for it. But Mm. once that moon was coming up, I didn't want to waste any time. I was too afraid. It was just too quick to make to give me, to offer that time of going, okay, changing grand down, let's do an exposure low, exposure on perfect, and then exposure high. It's like, oh, well, no, my plus one, zero, and minus one, I just didn't have time for it. Right. And so for those of you who are listening that don't know exactly what we're referring to, if you're going to shoot the moon, you're going to get a mostly black background if you're going for the moon because your shutter is going to be faster. You're going to be taking a quicker picture because you're going to blow out 
you're seeing. It's such a bright object. It's so bright in the sky that you have to slow down your shutter and sometimes even dial down your iris for your f-stop. And so you can really get the sharpness. I, I sometimes shoot the moon at f8. I was on f8. Sometimes f11. You need a really sharp image, but you're going to be super fast too. And uh, you really want that detail from the shapes to come in because um, it's going to be too bright, too white if you don't go faster. So like he's saying, if you slow down your shutter and take in like a 10 second or 20 second, then you're going to get a lot more light, but your moon is going to be so bright. You won't even see any detail. Yeah. It's, it's like shooting a light bulb. It's a sun. So, so I'm learning that when I'm actually going to go out there to purposely take the picture of the moon, as long as I can get my composition, my foreground and my scene and know that I'm happy with the shot and I don't have to salvage it with the time lapse, I can take that time. But I need to plan for two or three pictures in those like really cool low horizon moments mm -hmm. because I'm going to take a lot of time getting them right and not feel like I need to take 20, 30 to try and hit that lightning strike that I was trying to hit last night. And it's tough because the moon starts rising and it doesn't stop. Oh, no. It's not pausing. It's just continually going. So you've got only moment, fleeting moments. You know? And when you think, okay, right now I'll go back and focus on bracketing. Oh, wait, no, no, no. That's really cool right now. Look at how the reflection's doing mm -hmm. this. Okay, take mm -hmm. that picture. Take that picture. And then it wasn't until it was really high in the sky and the reflection was really separated that it got, you know, it slowed down. And it could have been a time that I could have bracketed. But then I had a really wide shot and I didn't have the shot I really wanted. The reflection was really far away. Yeah. And so you just missed that opportunity. So it's really quick. The moon's crazy fast. If you've got an idea of how you want that moon next to an architecture building, really cool architecture, really cool shot, really cool scene, a landmark, be prepared to take one good shot at that time and bracket and go. Don't try mm. to do too much. Yeah, and even go early where there's more light and take the same shot, leave your camera in the same position like we've done before. Yeah. And then go back and take a really nice exposure of the moon so your building's gonna be really black but then you can just superimpose you know that that cleaner image in there and really marry the two well so there was one photographer who was already at the location had his tripod out and his camera going and then he left he and left before it even before it even rose yeah like five minutes before it rose. i think he gave up on something about it he's just like oh this isn't gonna work out maybe he saw the clouds that we saw or maybe. something I'm really proud of how we adapted to the problems that were ahead of us. We had these obstacles and we faced them and we're like, okay, let's, let's create this out of this. We didn't just bail on the scene. So I'm really proud of that. Mm -hmm. You can't always have things turn out the way you expected, especially, especially when you go and you research an area and then you come out and it's like, well, everything I researched was us hiking out a mile or two. Mm. And now we don't have that. Mm -hmm. And immediately that changed everything for me, but I'm proud of how we adapted. Yeah, and we were lucky in the fact that just by staying around, when the moon did rise, it was so bright and powerful. It shot right through that haze. We could see it practically perfectly. Oh, I thought it was going to be something that was an inch or two off the horizon by our perspective that we would first see the moon. No, it was directly on the horizon mm -hmm. that we saw the moon. It was wide open, and we couldn't tell that it was going to be that way until the moon came up. And that was pretty That was pretty spectacular. So. It was amazing. So like I said in the video, if you guys have a chance to watch it on YouTube, so awesome to be there in person to see it. I don't think I've ever seen the moon rise off the horizon before like that. There's always some kind of mountain range, whether, it's, whether I was in Phoenix or especially here in Salt Lake where the mountains are literally five or six times taller. The moon just, it's, it's already white and you've got to go up really high to see it. And even from Garzman Pass, there's still tons of other hills and mountains in the, yeah. in the way you don't actually see it at the crest of the horizon. So I was really impressed that the salt flats that they offered that view it's an amazing place. 
yeah, I can't wait to go back out there and do it. And any of you thinking that you missed that opportunity, the super moon's over until 2030-something, <laughs> don't worry. Any full moon on the horizon looks very big. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be one of those moments where it has a few arc seconds of size larger than average. It's just a full moon. So go out there and enjoy full moon photography as yeah. soon as you can. Yeah. The last thing I want to say before we go into gear time is that I learned that time lapse without bull bramping is just okay. It could be so much better. I already knew this. Really in the past, since we've been out on photography, we've been doing a lot of astrophotography and we've been taking shots of those Milky Way moments and I just don't have a second camera to run a time lapse on. And we never got there at sunset where we could actually see the sun go down and then have it transition from a really bright sky to a dark sky, a short shutter to a long shutter. So ramping your ISO, ramping your shutter speed, ramping even your f-stop, if that's what you want to also ramp, I haven't done that yet. I haven't practiced that. Yeah, I think we should practice that. You got the Syrup Genie. This is an awesome opportunity to practice it. I have a trigger trap that also has some ramping that controls my camera through my mobile device. And so we have this winter before the Milky Way is out again that we have an opportunity to take some really cool time lapses of sunrise and sunsets that we should take advantage of. And I'm excited to do the bulb ramping because that moment of recording the moon rising, had I been able to bulb ramp and make it really pretty, the background and everything, and adjust as the moon comes up, it would have been a portfolio piece line, a time lapse. It would have been perfect. But unfortunately, I don't know exactly what I'm ramping most. Am I going to ramp ISO? Am I going to ramp the shutter? And what do I tell it? Do I change it in increments of half, full 100s? I mean, what's the best approach? So we have some research to do. So we can do a little bit of learning. We can check out some YouTube videos and do some Googling. And uh, then we'll get back to you guys and let you know what we found out later, maybe in a month or two. Yeah. After practice. And we'll let you know the best things that we found. I'm hoping that's what you guys gain from this podcast and working and following us is that we're also new to this only this last year doing a lot of astrophotography and we can learn from us from a perspective of a beginner who's understanding it in beginner's terms and then puts things into practice and sees what's actual working in the field and what's not working in the field Mm -hmm. or at least what we can quickly understand how to use in the field. So I'm hoping that's what you guys gain from listening to us as you get a chance to see and hear what we can do and everything that we can do in our pictures you guys can do tomorrow because unless you just started picking up a camera an hour ago you know the camera well enough to do the things that we've been practicing there's plenty Mm -hmm. of things that come with experience in the last year that we've learned that you wouldn't be able to do quite immediately but you're so close almost every one of you if you're listening to photography podcasts you're probably already there and it really only i mean you guys know it only takes practice it yeah. really just takes practice going out there. You know that once you got your camera and you start taking pictures of everything inside your house, then you go outside and start taking pictures of everything outside your house, and you notice that the pictures after a couple of months start looking pretty good yeah. just because you're out practicing. You get excited. You just want to take pictures of everything. And then you start learning about the different settings and the different things you could do to be more creative, and then it becomes a lot more fun, and it adds a new dimension to your photography so it's it's cool so yeah it's basically just practice that's what we're we're doing and the fact that we're getting really awesome shots that we can use for our portfolios just because we went out and practiced it is seriously 90 percent of it if it's a fair thing just throw a stat out there 90 percent of it is just getting out there 
Right. You look at all of our body of work, six, eight portfolio pieces, and we've been doing this since February or March. Mm -hmm. We've been doing this since March of this year. And so, yeah, it's going to take 100, 2,000, 8,000 pictures to get one portfolio piece necessarily, but yeah, it's just getting out there. Right. All right, so we talked about what we could have learned. If you guys go out there in a moon photography, you guys make sure that you put these things into practice and look more things up, and we will get back to you on bull ramping in the future. So let's go ahead and do gear time with Brendan. Okay, guys, welcome to gear time. Today we're going to be discussing the Young No Digital YN300 Air. So I'm probably murdering the name of that company. It's like it's Y-O-N-G-N-U-O. So if you guys have been buying any gear photo gear i know you've come across this company oh, yeah, especially in flashes lights yeah they've been around for a while and they're i mean they do a pretty good job uh, most of their stuff is a little plasticky but there's some solid engineering in it and they've been around long enough that they don't want to be it seems to me that they don't want to be like a flight by night company they really want to have a name for themselves and so they seem to be putting out fairly decent quality stuff so i'm gonna give them props for that Absolutely. I have a flash made by these guys, and it's pretty good. In fact, That's... I just barely purchased my first speed light, and it's a Young Nuo, Young Nuo Digital YN560 Mark IV. So right. I, I've, I've, I've got this one because of how highly recommended it came, and it's, you know, like 35 40 bucks. Yeah, it's insane. So this light panel that I got, which is the uh, YN300 Air, it's a pro LED video light. Inside the box came the light panel itself a pouch to put it in as like a little felt, not a felt, but a little cushy pouch um, to protect it and a little stand and a little adapter and a stick. That's it. Now this light panel is typically about $40. And one of the caveats on that is that it doesn't come with a battery or a power cable. It doesn't come even with the power cable. No. And they tell you in the manual, this is the recommended power cable, and this is the recommended battery. Do they sell it? They do. Okay. But it, the power cable is like another 20-something dollars. Wow, and this thing was only... It's one. already 40. Okay. So you're looking at 60 bucks, more or less, to get a battery or a power cable. You're looking close to 80 if you want the whole package. That's actually kind of generous of them to package it without the power cable, because then... If you already happen to have something on hand that worked for something else for the same amp, or which warrant, I do, yeah, it's similar, it's you close don't enough. Need to have twenty extra dollars on top of your cost, right? And this is this is geared towards video professionals that actually already have these type of Sony NPF batteries, oh. which I do as well. And so I can just charge my battery, click it in the back of this, and I'm good to go. Uh, if you're a beginner and you're looking at this light panel, prepare to spend a little extra money to get the, either the power cable or the battery. Now, it did say in the instructions, the power cable does not charge the battery. So it's not a charger. It just, you either have one or the other. If you plug the power cable in, the battery will turn off. And if you unplug the power, the battery will, will use the battery. Okay. So, so the thing that I like about this is that it's a high CRI. It actually has uh, a 3200K and a 5500K option. And you can run one or the other or both simultaneously. So you can get some really cool light out of this thing, and it's really bright, as we looked at it the other night. Um, looked the, at it? You mean blinded, blinded me? ourselves with and it, yeah. I had my eyes closed, and through my eyelids it hurt. <laughs> so this thing has a, a little a little clicky power button. Very 
high class. Yeah, it's very tactile. You know when you're turning <laughs> it on, which is good. It's yeah, a good solid it button. It sounds plasticky. And then it has a dial, a radial dial. You can actually turn the brightness or the power of it on either the 3200 or the 5500 um, Kelvin and turn it up or down. And it's got a coarse and fine button. So you can do a coarse, which is like does by 10, 10, 20, 30, 40 up. And then a fine button, which does it by one. So you can really dial in if you want to have a, a specific brightness and a specific tone you're going for, this thing can do it. So it's pretty sweet in that respect. So are you saying that this has two options, 3200 or 5500? Or, or are you both. saying it ranges between 3200? Like what if I want 4400? Then you would do, if you have a Kelvin reader, then you can actually mix it between the two of them to get that There's desired effect. There's a power effect. balance of either one, 3200 or 5500, and then you kind of like hot and cold. On yes, because it has like yellowish LEDs or bluish oh. LEDs, and so you can mix them. To create 4400 Kelvin. Right. So you can do pure 3200, really bright or dim, or you can do pure 5500, bright or dim, or then you can mix the two of them together. Can you have two 5500s, or is it just no. not built to be that? No, nope, it just has, yeah, it just has one set, one array of, blue and another array of yellow and the most daylight it gets is 5500 right okay and then you can crank that sucker all the way up and then see how bright it is and if you want it even brighter then you can add the 3200 to it as well and that makes it like a more of a mix and maybe get more of a true color i gotta play with it still uh when we we're gonna take this out next time we go out landscape lighting and uh We'll really put it through its paces. Yeah, I think a time lapse for a star trail. This would be awesome. Yeah. So first initial um, response, since I just got this a few days ago, I'm I'm liking it, you know, and I can't wait to take it out. And I've got a battery already for it, so I'm going to charge that guy up, and uh, we can hook this up hook this up to a uh, a light pole, you know, and uh, or, we can, or we can or we can handhold it. We can handhold it. We can hang it. I mean, there's lots of things you can do with this thing. So. Um, but I like I like the, the, the light stand option, you know, for the best control, I think. Yeah, I agree. I'm really impressed by how light it is. Super I mean, light. This is something that if we were packing our way into something in some location. It weighs almost nothing. Oh, man, it's no. So, it's, I mean, it it's all plastic, but it's, it seems durable. Yeah, you're not going to have a thought where you're like, well, you know what, I really want to light this scene, but I don't want to carry an extra 10, 15 pounds. You don't have to do that. You don't have to think that way with this. I'm sure that somewhere out there, like film, there's a company that manufactures the bulbs for lighting situations that before the LEDs came out, they were making bank. Oh, yeah, the halogen. And halogen. And, and then the sodium um, bulbs as well. Sorry. There's some really high-pressure sodium bulbs that are super crazy bright, but they take a lot of energy. And they were just probably raking it in, and now the LED bulb is competing with them, the tiny... Well, and the LEDs just get better and better every year. They don't have to be replaced. Yeah, this thing has a 50,000-hour life, and that's forever. I hope I have 50,000 hours left to go. Right. I don't know how many years that is, but it's a long time. <laughs> it's a long time. I don't expect to ever use that up, basically. Um, other cool things about this is it reaches, um, 2000 lumens. That's why 2000 lumens. I mean, you think about a projector, a movie, pro uh, like a video projector you could use at home. 2000 lumens in a dark room is super bright. So I've got about 3000 lumens at home and you can basically see it in daylight, the screen. <laughs> so wow. 2000 is just a third of that less. And it's, that's still pretty darn bright. Um, it's only 250 grams. That's why it feels so light. That's the actual weight. It's super light. And, uh, that's it's, before battery. 
Yeah, so the battery, depending on the size of battery, will, will determine the ultimate weight. So you can get smaller batteries or bigger batteries, depending on how long you need to use it for. Okay. Um, also that I like is uh, that the Kelvin range, of course, that I mentioned earlier, and the lifespan of the LEDs is super long. It doesn't take a lot of watts. It's like 8 volts, 5 amps is the actual recommended power supply. So if you're using something like a Goal Zero or something to power this thing um, through the plug, it'll also just sip. It just sips power because the LEDs are so efficient. I could go all night for you a could Star go all night with this thing. Easy. Easily oh, go all night. Yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, it's a great little device. So if you guys are interested in the light panel, you need some for your things, you want to check it out, it's the, uh, the YN300 Air. And we'll put that in our show notes so that if you wanted to click through and check it out on Amazon, please do. And just know that we are Amazon affiliates, so if you were to purchase it through that link, you would support the show. Right on. So, hey, Siri, let's see something. How many years is 50,000 hours? That would be 5.7 years. Oh, crap. I, I better have 50,000 hours left in my <laughs> life. <laughs> so you think about it, that's 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 the life. So it, it could last 5.7 years. If you ran it continuously, that's the lifespan of the LEDs. So imagine you're only using it like every other weekend or something like that. I mean, the thing's going to last you like 15 years. Right on. Well, let's go into the tip of the week. If you guys were thinking about going out to the moon and capturing it, you probably have already opened up this app. And if you are a photographer, you probably already opened up this app. Photo Pills. What a fantastic app. If you guys looked at it and if you have it with you and you're confused by it, don't worry. You're among friends. Everyone looks at this and get o- it gets overwhelmed. In the beginning, you look at it, you have two menu systems, talk about things like planner, sun, moon, exposure, night AR, star trail, stuff that you can really use right away without really understanding most. Then it can even get further like a hyperfocal table hmm. where it tells you your hyperfocal distance. I have a 24 millimeter lens on here and I'm sitting right here and it'll actually figure out for you how far in feet you need to focus to in order to reach your hyperfocal length, which puts everything in focus. It's your perfect uh, infinity. Yes, yes. And so I haven't used that. I'm not going to. <laughs> I'm just going to choose my area that I want to focus on and make sure it's in focus. Well, one day you might find yourself, you know, meandering near that menu, but. <laughs> so the PhotoPills app, when we used it for the moon, the best part about it was planner for us. When we were looking at where we wanted to go, the planner shows a satellite image or a map of anything you like just to see the world that you want to you want to go. Say I want to stand in this spot. I move my pin over to that spot and it tells me precisely from that location, where is the moon going to come? It gives you a line. And so if I'm standing between two buildings and that line is obviously intersecting with one of them, I know I should put my pin over here like 10 more feet and boom, the moon comes between those two buildings, between those two spires on the church, between the arc or maybe the arch in St. Louis, you know? Yeah, yeah. So this is an awesome, awesome app to know where you want to capture like the moment of the sunrise, the specific spot where the sun sets or the moon rises, the moon sets. Or what we used it a lot for this winter was, hey, where's the Milky Way going to be at this time? Mm -hmm. Is the Milky Way core going to be to our right or left behind us, in front of us? Will even the Milky Way core be above the horizon? We use this all the time for that purpose. And it was great to show me what situation the moon was in. So this app was fantastic. Now, one part of the app that we use that you might not have used yet is Horizon. So say you pick a location, you put your pin down and you click on the horizon. It's on the very bottom of your of your screen. 
you hit that, it'll tell you, okay, from your pin that you put down, and then I'll put another pin out 3.6 kilometers away, here's what you're dealing with. Now, this is where the Salt Flats won. We tried Garsman Pass, we put our pin down, then we'd see where 3.6 miles ahead of us was, and if there was a negative number, we knew that actually that location's higher than us. Mm -hmm. If it was a positive number and we were still on top, we're like, great, perfect, we're going to be higher than that hill, and we could see the moon rise behind it. And we could quickly find out this location we can't because this mountain right there actually is in the pathway of where the moon's going to come, mm -hmm. and it's higher than we're going to be. And that's what ruled out Guardsman Pass for us. It's a very fast drive for us. We could have gotten there with little bit of with tiny amount of effort, but we're, we were afraid we were going to block the horizon. This is the very, very moment the moon was largest, and so we didn't want to lose that. We go to the salt flats, you put the pin down, and then you ask it where the horizon is, 3.6 kilometers away from your pin, the change in meters that you go up or down is zero. Totally flat. I mean, they don't just play around with the word flats when they call it the salt flats. Yeah, yeah that's it's one of those crazy things. Like, this is nature's, one of nature's <laughs> flattest spots. And there's there, and it's the biggest out of all the area. It's the Bonneville salt flats is the largest. I mean, like I said, it was 30,000 acres. Oh, that's man. That's huge. It was brilliant. It was perfect for this situation. So when we saw that, it ruled out every other area. We didn't have to go to a high peak like Francis Peak to look down because we could get it here. Mm -hmm. And we were excited for that. And thank you, PhotoPills, for putting together this app, using the photographer's ephemeris information, that style of information where you've got basically spider legs going around from a pin that tells you moonrise, moonset, sunrise, sunset, golden hour begin, astronomical dusk begins or ends. Mm. That information has been critical. Now there's so many more tools on here that I haven't begun to use, haven't begun to check subject distance. So then the last feature that we used that was really critical for us is on the planner, you have a choice of AR or night AR at the bottom tab. You won't see the AR in the main menu for some reason. You'll only see night mm. AR. So go into your planner and you can see this. Now the reason why AR is different is it's showing you the moon and the sun. And it's going to give you this arc that that Plant that that moon or sun is taking across your sky. Oh, cool! You see in the in the video where it shows me looking to the north, and you see no moon, and you look to the east, and there's too far for the moon. But then at northeast, you saw that's where the moon is going to rise on the horizon. So I knew not only that this was the rough area that I could expect the moon to rise, but using the AR, I can check again with my coordinate coordinates in the GPS and knowing where I was and having it calibrated. It could say, hey right here at that exact angle is where you can expect the moon in you know like a small little area so having my camera pointed when the moon rose i didn't move my tripod i didn't turn my camera if anything i just pushed the moon to the center of my frame just so that i can do a symmetrical shot because i didn't have mm -hmm. anything else to balance in the shot mm -hmm. it was totally accurate awesome. i saw exactly where the moon was coming up and it was fantastic thank you photo pills Thank you so much. So if you guys need to get an app like this, I recommend PhotoPills. It'll cost you something like 10 or $11. If you're an Android user, make sure you go to PhotoPills.com and email them. So they, they currently do not have an Android version? Exactly. So at their website, they say they're planning and hoping to get an Android version of okay. the app out by the end of 2016. You go to their Twitter page, and you don't see any news like, hey, it's coming out now. It's coming out in a month, and it's already November. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. I think they need more Android users to actually go in there and say, hey, we're interested. Right. Hook us up. 
there's another app that recently came out that replaces photo pills for Android users. And so they need to get out there fast if they want to make sure that people are paying them the 10 bucks and not getting the cheaper, freer version. Oh, I see. I don't know what it costs, but if it's really cheap, people are going to go for that and not even need photo pills. Yeah, it's a tough spot to be in. So it's a great app. I fully recommend it. If you guys need something like this, I say go for it because I can't plan a photo shoot without it. Every time I go on a photog adventure, I'm looking in this app to make sure that we have the time the moon rises, the time the sun sets, the time that the Milky Way is up, where it's going to be, where I can expect it to be, where we should stand. All of that is answered by this app. See, and I would have never have known any of that information. Not off the top I mean, of your head. I would have looked at like maybe the weather channel to see when the sun's setting or rising. That's it. So basic. <laughs> and so that's why I'm grateful for you because you have all that astronomical experience and you've got the detail there. And, and the, the nerdiness to go look for it and have that information. Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what you geek out over. And so I geek out <laughs> over like the tools and the tech stuff and you geek out over the specifics of you know, sunset, Milky Way, positioning, all that stuff. And that was, that's what helps us make, I think, a great team. So Absolutely. Thanks, man. So once again, guys, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for coming along with us on these Photog adventures through viewing us on YouTube and following our posts. We hope that you guys will stay patient with us as we have five other episodes already filmed that already should be edited and out. But due to a funeral and three weeks of having to repeat visit that Ooh. area to go find that <laughs> payload of GoPros, we lost a lot of time. And so we're catching back up and we're sending out. So enjoy the content we have out there and we'll keep pumping things out. Thanks for visiting, guys, and uh, take care. Have a good week. <laughs>